0: We've entitled our thoughts this morning, Take Heed How Ye Hear, and we'll be returning again to the book of Matthew chapter 13. In specific this morning, we will look into another one of Jesus' parables that he gave in Matthew chapter 13, one of the more preached and noted, one of the more regarded parables. All of the parables of Christ are true and right and good, and yet this one is one that If you probably considered the amount of time as a percentage that ministers have spoken on this parable versus other parables of Christ, this one probably is somewhere near the lead. It's one that we as gospel ministers feel uh, compelled from time to time to share with God's children. And as you might have noticed, the title this morning is Take Heed How Ye Hear. We should after learning this parable and considering this parable, take heed. We should be careful and cautious and be very intentional about how we hear anything that is preached to us, the Word of God, the gospel, any principle from the Word of God. As you recall last week, if you were here with us, we spoke on two shorter parables, more towards the end of Jesus' giving of parables in Matthew chapter 13. This is a chapter that is full of parables and we'll speak just in brief about that in a moment. We considered the man who stumbles upon a treasure in a field and with joy sells everything that he has, everything that he owns to buy the field so he can get the treasure. And then we considered this goodly merchant who was seeking goodly pearls or this great merchant, this merchant man who was seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found a pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And the common theme in those two was, of course, selling all with joy to enjoy, to experience this gospel that we love and we believe. The church and the kingdom, these are kingdom parables, ought to be something so great to us that we would be willing to, even with joy, sell everything that we owned, everything that we possess, simply to enjoy this one thing in our lives, the church and within the church, the gospel message. We followed up on Wednesday night, if you were not able to tune in for that, I'd encourage you to go back and listen, on what it means to sell all. What do we do when we sell all? Does this mean that we turn loose of all of our belongings and live on some sort of a commune church property? Certainly, that's not what the Lord had in mind there. We turn loose of our worldviews and our ideologies, our false religious notions, our sinful behaviors, and we put to death, we mortify the lusts of the flesh as we seek Jesus as a disciple. Our focus today, of course, is on a different parable from this chapter, one that has a slightly different focus. Rather than dealing with us selling all to enjoy life in the kingdom, Feasting on the gospel of Christ, we consider today the way that we hear, and based upon the condition of the soil, the person that hears the word as it is preached, it will have any number of various reactions and responses to the word and longevities in the word. We'll begin by reading verses 1 through 9 and just giving you the parable. Chapter 13 and verse 1, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. The whole multitude stood on the shore. Now this again is an interesting scene. Jesus is preaching to, speaking to a great multitude and... To do that, he goes out into a ship off the shore. There are multitudes that are around him. So many times Mark would record for us, early in Mark, about this time actually, that he couldn't even maneuver around a town because so many people were pressing on him and touching him and surrounding him and asking him of things. And so Jesus employs a strategy to get into a little vessel and push out a little from the shore And he begins to speak to his disciples and also to those who are listening on the seashore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, many things in parables. You'll notice that over and over in Matthew's account of this event, you'll find the language, again he spake to them, and again he spake to them, and again he spake to them. He spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. The word sower here for those that might be younger and unfamiliar with the term, means one who plants seed. But in this case, the sower was one who didn't micromanage where the seeds go, but the sower is one who broadcasts the seed. He's casting the seed. He's throwing the seed in every direction. We tend to micromanage farming because it is in every way a science. You have a man who plows his rows and he applies the fertilizer. He might have, before this, applied weed killer to kill everything on the ground, but he's going to micromanage the seeds that he sows. How many seeds in every space? And my dad always made the remark when we would garden, and maybe when we were younger or when he began gardening again after he retired, when he did garden after he retired, he's since ceased from doing that, he would say, one for me, one for the Lord, and one for the birds. Everywhere he would dig a little hole and put his seeds, he'd put three. And then he would come back and, I suppose, weed the ones out that looked more puny. But it's very micromanaged. The nutrients that you put is micromanaged when you garden. The amount of water that you put on the soil is micromanaged. This is a different type of sowing of seed. It's just cast. It's casting the seed. It's broadcasting the seed, which will give us some insight into the role of a gospel preacher as well as we begin to look at the interpretation of this. A sower went forth to sow. He's sowing seed. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Wayside there means the side of a road. Now, it's common in this day and age in the Roman Empire that roads would be made of salt. We talk about that when we reference the fact that Jesus said that you're the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth, If the salt loses its savor, it sends forth good for nothing but to be cast out and what? Trodden under the foot of men. Jesus says this in a culture where salt is used to kill the weeds and control the weeds on road. It's literally used as a form of pavement, the salt roads of Rome. Some of these seeds land by the wayside. They land on a spot where there isn't even soil for the seed to land in and germinate. The birds see this, they came and they devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground And brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now when Jesus preaches this, his disciples come to him, and we're going to give you play by play everything that Jesus was talking about in a minute, but I want to spend some time giving you the context of what's taking place. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Now, prophetically, there's a reason for this, because Christ would come and speak to them in parables. This was something that was spoken of him in the Old Testament. So part of why Jesus does this is it is a fulfillment of prophecy, but there is a real reason why Jesus speaks to these people, the general public, in parables in the first century. He answered and he said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. We made mention of this last week. And I remind you of the fact that from this passage we learn that parables can convey truth to one group of people while at the same exact time conceal truth from other people. It's amazing the double-edged sword of the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. In one direction it cuts and his children are informed and they understand. In another direction it cuts and those who are around them hearing this have no understanding of what he has just said to them. It's amazing. To some, the truth is revealed. To others, the truth is concealed. I imagine that some people, as Jesus gave the parable of the sower, heard him speak and they said, thank you for that agricultural lesson, but I already knew everything that you just said. They had no idea that he was giving unto them a spiritual lesson with a spiritual meaning. He's describing his kingdom... He's describing people. He's describing the reaction people have to the Word of God as it is preached unto them. He's describing those who would fall away from steadfastness in the truth for a variety of reasons, some of which are affecting us today. Jesus gives us great insight into the gospel the kingdom, preaching, and the reception of the gospel in this parable, and to the general passerby in this day, they heard these words, and they would have thought that Jesus is merely speaking about someone going and planting seeds. But he had reference to so much more than that. He answers, "...because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more in abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I unto them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which is Isaiah, which saith, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. And the reason why? This people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Really, I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye ye see, and have not seen them, and hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. You're blessed if you see and hear the things in the New Testament age. Jesus is speaking about the condition of the nation of Israel as a whole. Now, of course, there were people in the nation of Israel who were purely unregenerate. They had no heart for Christ, we recently spoke through John chapter 8 and Jesus' words to those who were of their father the devil, the lust of their father they would do, they could not understand because they could not hear because they lacked the ears to hear spiritual things. But you notice that these words here in verse 15 have reference more to the national condition of the nation of Israel. This country, this people as a nation had as he says, waxed so gross and their ears were so dull of hearing that they have closed their eyes and they would be judged for that. We refer to this sometimes as the judicial blindness of the nation of Israel because they'd been so rebellious to God, because they'd been so disobedient to God, even his children among this people, that he sent a great blindness upon them and nationally they would suffer a temporal judgment as a people... In A.D. 70, where their whole manner of life would be raised, R-A-Z-E-D is the Old Testament word prophetically, like a razor would shave a man's face, so would the Roman Empire raise Jerusalem in the temple. They would just absolutely destroy it in the siege of General Titus in A.D. 70. That's a temporal judgment. Now, that temporal judgment, as with many other temporal judgments in the world, point to the ultimate judgment that God has over the wicked at the last day. There's coming a day when God will not judge merely in a temporal way, but God will judge the enemies of Christ. He will judge the wicked eternally as he judges them according to their works and casts them from his intimate personal presence into the lake of fire. Now, his presence is there, but it's not the same presence that we're going to experience in glory. All of these judgments that God has given foreshadow the judgment that is coming on the last day when he destroys the world by fire. But he's referencing here the condition, the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel. I'm very concerned today of the spiritual condition of the United States of America. And maybe that's something that we can look into as we begin to look at people who don't bear fruit the way they ought to bear fruit at hearing the word. Because I believe that this dull hearing and the grossness of their heart applied to people in general in Israel, those who were obviously unregenerate, but even those who were born again. If you read through the book of Acts, one of the most stunning things that you read is that even decades into the New Testament age, as Paul goes back into Jerusalem, James himself asks Paul, to show himself a good lawful Jew there in Jerusalem so that he doesn't offend the Jewish believers. They were still keeping the law as a service to God as New Testament believers. Isn't that staggering to think about? That nation had problems. Even among God's children, that nation had problems. Jesus would weep looking out over them, and he would say, "Over Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets, how would I have gathered how would I have gathered thy children as a hen gathers her brood, but you would not. There were people in Jerusalem who could have been gathered into the church, which tells me that there were people who were recipients of grace. But Jerusalem, especially the powers that be in Jerusalem, suffered it not to happen. And they experienced a great judgment as a nation because of that. Jesus speaks in parable to reveal truth to some and convey the same truth from others. As he begins to give the explanation of this, hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. We'll read it and we'll come back to it. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom. Anyone. Now, as I give you my understanding of the application of this, it might be a little more generic than specific. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. So the seed is sown compared to birds which see seed and pick it up and go. The wicked one sees, takes it away, and leaves with it. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that receiveth seed in stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. The word anon is synonymous with immediately or instantaneously. It's one of the words that we find often in the book of Mark. You know, when we study through the book of Mark on Wednesday nights, we observe that Mark has several different occurrences of him saying immediately, anon, straightway, etc. It's a gospel of action. Immediately, straightway, anon, with joy, receiveth it. Yet he hath not rooted in himself, but endureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Now what does he do? He ceases to bear fruit. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, in some, and bringeth forth some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty fold. So we have four types of soil showing the reception or lack thereof of four different types of people and the four different Things that occur that affect the fruitfulness of the gospel message in the life of a person who hears the word. Now, we want to emphasize a few points before we look at these four types of soil, but I wanted to give you that up front so it's resonating in your mind, these types of soil. One by the wayside, one sown among stones, one sown among thorns, and then one The good ground, prepared, ready, that brings forth varying levels of fruit. The first point that we want to give you from this parable regards not the soil, but the sower. This is usually called the parable of the sower, though much in it has more to do with the soil that's receiving the seed that's sown. This sower shares the word sows the seed indiscriminately. The sower goes forth to sow. He casts the seed in places that you and I would not even think of sowing the seed. He sows it everywhere. Now, why would we as gospel ministers go and share the word indiscriminately everywhere? God has a purpose in this. Even... To those who hate Him, we are the saver of life unto life and death unto death. And God has ordained it so that we even bear witness of Him in the presence of those that hate Him to be a saver unto death. We are the saver of death unto death. But at the same time, if there's anything you can learn from cover to cover in this word is that so many times God's grace is found in strange places. Would anyone have envisioned in the city of Jericho that the messengers, the spies of Israel, would have found a grace-changed individual who was a harlot, a woman who sinned for a living And yet there in the city of Jericho, as this woman named Rahab received the messengers, she justified herself. Now, does that mean that she made herself righteous? No. She vindicated herself in the eyes of the messengers. She declared herself righteous when she, by faith, received them and hid them and sent them out another way. James and Hebrews 11 mentions Rahab the harlot. None of us would imagine finding a grace-changed individual in such a wicked, deplorable place as that. And yet there she is. She's even in the lineage of the Lord Jesus. That's an important woman. You read through Scripture and you see people like that from place to place that you never would imagine would have been a grace-changed individual because of their life, and yet there's another child of God. Rahab. Lot. The thief on the cross. The woman at the well. Over and over and over. Cornelius the centurion the Ethiopian eunuch, people that you would not have imagined from our modern 2020 Americanized Christian perspective as being grace-changed individuals. Now understand, for Rahab to be justified by receiving the spies, she declared she was righteous. She was righteous by grace before they got there. Now listen, if my theology can't answer how that happened, I need to go back for some more theology. She was a grace-changed individual before the spies got there, which is how she justified herself by receiving them. Something had happened in her life to change her. And so we as gospel ministers, we indiscriminately broadcast the word because we have no idea where God's children might be, even in the middle of a house of sin in a wicked Canaanite city named Jericho. And so we indiscriminately share the word. Now this is maybe even contrary to good sense at times. But this man goes and sows. I'm always encouraged by simply reading, I believe it's Psalm 136, that talks about the fact that a man goes and he bears precious seed, he's sowing and he goes with weeping, sowing the seed and He shall doubtless come again, bearing his sheaves with him, rejoicing. And that to me is a lesson to gospel ministers that, yes, at times this work can be discouraging. At times this work can be sad. At times it can be disheartening. But we trust that if we sow and we are faithful and we faint not, we shall reap in due season. I'm going to let you in on a little secret about me personally Every time something good has happened here, and I don't want to sound like some sort of crazy person when I tell you this. Maybe I shouldn't, but then you'd be like, what was he talking about? Every time something good has happened here, I get this weird feeling right before it happens. And I'm like, something good's about to happen. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but something good's about to happen. And those moments when something good does happen and you get a new family... Or someone who's heard the word and they haven't really been interested in it all of a sudden is on fire. That just invigorates you as a gospel minister and it makes all of the struggles that you had to go through. The personal struggles, the dryness, the lukewarmness. Sometimes we, we burn out and we struggle to study and there are just times where the minister is discouraged. But then when those times come where we haven't fainted and... The due season is here. When we reap, you cannot find a happier person on planet Earth. I walked out of the sanctuary Thursday, and I got that feeling in my chest. And I feel it. I mean, there's like something there. You say it could be a tumor. <laughs> it's not a tumor. <laughs> it's not the tumor. You feel it, and it's like something good's about to happen. I feel it. And Maybe it's a figment of my imagination. But you go, and you sow, and you broadcast, and you share, and so many times it just bounces off the rocks. But then it lands in the good soil, and all of the struggles, all of the difficulty are suddenly worth it. As you see some child of God comforted, their life and immortality has been brought to light, As 2 Timothy chapter 1 says, they have assurance of their deliverance. They have comfort and peace. And we get another child of God in this congregation to love. It makes all the sowing that you did that bounced off the rocks and got picked up by the birds and scorched by the sun and choked out by the thorns. It makes it all worth it because we will reap if we faint not. Because this is God's kingdom. This is Christ's gospel. This is his house, and he will not leave himself without a witness in the world. The gates of hell, listen, shall not prevail against the church. And if we do what we need to do in the world, the church can survive, and not only survive, but thrive here. And all of this happens when the sower goes forth to sow. To be used as a vessel of God to share His Word with His children is the greatest privilege that a man could ever experience in this world. The indiscriminate nature of public preaching. He compares it to broadcast seating. The next point is that the reception... And this is something that ministers have to remember. The reception of the Word depends more on the condition of the soil than the man who sows it. Think about that for a minute. You know, we needed us a new preacher in here. We're not having any growth. Churches in America today, and I'm not so much talking about primitive Baptist churches, but in some instances I am. And I've never felt to be this way, so I'm not, I'm not giving you some veiled, passive-aggressive remark when I say this. Churches look at preachers like college football programs look at coaches. If we're not winning the national championship every three years, we need to get another guy in here. In this parable, what has the effect on the reception and the fruitfulness of that when it's received. The sower? No. The soil. In fact, one of the alternative, the alternate titles of this sermon, or this parable, isn't even the parable of the sower, it's the parable of the soils. And that's a very fitting title of this parable, because in this parable, does Jesus say, a sower went forth to sow, and on the wayside he really messed up. When he sowed it among... Stony ground, he really should have done more to that stony ground to get it to be fruitful. And when he's sown it among the thorns and the thorns choked it up, that sower really should have done something about that. What affected the fruitfulness of the plant? The condition of the soil. The sower simply throw in the seed. throwing in the seed. throwing in the seed. Wherever it lands, Wherever it grows, he's simply indiscriminately broadcasting the word. It has more to do with the hearer than it does the speaker. Another point that I want to give you up front is that as we begin to consider how this applies to us, this has reference primarily to fruitfulness in the Word as the Word is preached and received. And so we should not conflate fruit here with fruit in other passages such as the fruit of the Spirit. What do you mean by that? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance, The fruit of the Spirit is the product of being born of the Spirit of God. John the Baptist bore fruit of the Spirit jumping in his mother's womb. This has reference to the word being heard by you and taking root in you. Growing in you to the point of bearing fruit, putting into practice what you hear in the Word. Now let me just ask you the question, does every child of God hear the Word in truth and put the Word into practice? No. Let me get more personal. Does Ben Winslet always hear the Word every time he hears the Word, takes that Word, lets the Word take root in him, and then that Word, that particular principle, grow, take root, and bear fruit In my life, no. And if you're true to yourself, you know that there have been times when the Word of God bounced off your thick skull, as it were. It happens. The parable of the sower is dealing more with the Word landing and having a lasting effect in the lives of the hearers. And so we're not so much speaking of the fruit of the Spirit here, we're speaking of the fruits of hearing and receiving the Word as it is preached to us. Now, along those lines, bearing fruit in your life, I want to share with you a few interpretations of this. Our forefathers interpreted this in such a way that... These first three types of soil are unregenerate, totally unregenerate, and they would use this effectively in debate to show the necessity of grace before the gospel can have a lasting effect in a person's life. Now, is that principle true? Absolutely. Grace is necessary before the gospel can have a lasting effect in a person's life. One of my mentors, will give you a second interpretation of this, interpreted the first type of soil as unregenerate and the last three types as regenerate. In other words, the first type was an unsaved man. The last three types were saved men. Most of us, and I say us, I mean primitive Baptists today, interpret, understand this as a warning to disciples about the influences that they have in their life, and, secondarily, an explanation to gospel ministers why the word isn't always as effective as we would like it to be. Why do we interpret it in that way when most of our forefathers understood it, having reference to the requirement of grace for the gospel to be received? It's a good question. Let me share it with you. In the book of Luke, chapter 8, in Luke, chapter 8, Jesus would... After giving all of these parables, said, Take heed therefore, 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 take heed therefore how ye hear. Take heed how ye hear. Now there are people there that Jesus gave these parables to in the audience, talked about them, and he gives them to him so they don't understand. And yet when he finishes this, he looks at the disciples and he says, take heed therefore how you hear. And so today as we're learning and listening to the parable of the sower being explained before us, here's something I want you to put in your mind. Take heed therefore how you hear the word when it is preached to you. Take heed how you hear. In Mark's gospel, chapter 4, Jesus would say, take heed, therefore, what you hear. Take heed what you hear. So we, combining those two together, in light of the parable of the sower, as disciples, we take heed, we beware, we have caution, how we hear and what we hear. How we hear and what we hear. Now, I don't say this to step on people's toes, And I got this from a preacher that I wouldn't dare quote in the pulpit in one of those short little two-minute videos that people share online. But we spend, some of us, six, eight, three, ten hours a day listening to political talk from people who do not have the same worldview as you. Many of them that are some of the big celebrities today don't even believe in Christ. If they do, it's not the same Christ. And we come to church on Sunday and expect to hear the same message from the pulpit. Ain't going to happen. We're coming from different sources. Take heed what you hear. Take heed what you hear, what you read online. What things you feed your mind on. Take heed how you hear. When you hear the gospel preached with a ready mind. Take heed what you hear. Make sure what you're hearing is the truth. Buy the truth and sell it not. Take heed how? Take heed what? Because of these two statements, we interpret this as a warning and an exhortation to us to take heed that we hear the Word. Part of me wonders personally, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, if maybe the distinction between regenerate and unregenerate isn't even something that Jesus is so much hitting at here, when anyone hears the word. He's just giving you reactions to the word. I can find examples of children of God who fell in any of these three categories, and so can you. There have been times that you have misunderstood the word, and because you misunderstood the word, you rejected it. Maybe not totally, but maybe on some points of doctrine. How many times have you attempted to explain a point of doctrine to someone, and they didn't understand what you were saying, they began to disagree with their misunderstanding, and attack you based upon their misunderstanding, and the next thing you know, they leave, and what you've said has made no impact on them at all. That happens all the time. Oh, so you're saying X, Y, Z? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Well, that's what you said. No, it's not what I said. That's how you took it. Now, let me try to explain what I actually meant. Romans chapter 9 is one of these places that people argue so much about, and they misunderstand, and they disagree with their misunderstanding, the caricature of what you believe. This first type of soil, when someone understands it not, then comes the wicked one and takes that seed which was sown in their heart. What about the second type of soil, when people fall away for tribulation? Have there ever been disciples that fell away from tribulation? Yes. What about this third type, when the cares of this world choke out the plant, that it's no longer fruitful? Have you ever known a child of God whose discipleship was choked so they were no longer fruitful in the word that they heard? Yes. We can find children of God falling to all sorts of, all, all of these three. Hey, to break it to you, we still have the lust of the flesh, the nature of the flesh as a part of our overall being. Now concerning these first three, I can also find unregenerates. Certainly every unregenerate, when he hears the word and he doesn't understand it, he rejects it. And Judas Iscariot, ball indications, was an unregenerate man. What was his great sin? He was always carrying the purse, by the way. He was covetous. The love of money, this type choked by the thorns, the deceitfulness of riches choked the word and he becomes unfruitful. I can find unregenerates who seem to be described by some of these descriptions. Perhaps Jesus is simply telling us reasons why anyone would not be fruitful in the word. Now we understand that unless a man's born again, he can't receive the word. We understand that. But there are some who have, for whatever reason, popularity, influence, hung around and pretended to be disciples long enough that they were eventually outed. Simon Magus is one such as that. I read about him. We spoke on him before corona Apocalypse happened on a Wednesday night. Very wicked man. Recently, read about him and his association with early Gnosticism. Maybe we overthink some things sometimes. Maybe this has just given us reasons. Anyone has issues. Let's look at these in specific. When anyone hears the word and understands it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. There's a lack of understanding. Satan comes, he takes that seed which is sown, and as a bird picks up a seed, the closest I can give you to understand that is when you sow grass in your yard and it lands on the concrete driveway. You never see so many birds in your yard as when you sow grass seed, right? They're just everywhere. Picking up the seeds, free buffet, all you can eat. They're picking them up, they're taking them away, and I'm out there like I just paid all that money for those little bitty seeds so my grass doesn't look so terrible, even though it still does, and the birds left. And when I say this is for the birds, that's not what I mean. Picks it up off the concrete, takes off with it. Picks it up and takes off with it. Satan capitalizes on lack of understanding in our heart. Satan runs away with that which was sown. He that received the seed in the stony places is the same as he that heareth the word, and anon immediately with joy receiveth it. Now, by the way, the reception with joy is why we look at these from the perspective of being children of God, because unregenerates don't hear the word anon with joy. Not in truth, not for real. When they hear it, it's folly unto them, it's foolishness unto them, according to the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, one of them might hear it and say, you know what, there's a lot of power to be had there. They might hang around there. But as far as joy is concerned, the unregenerate doesn't find joy in the gospel message, not the real gospel. Now, if he heard some vague, nebulous message about some benevolent grandfather in heaven that wants everybody to be healthy and wealthy, and if you just hang out with us, God will make you a millionaire, well, he might be happy about that, but not about the true gospel. That he's a sinner, that he's depraved, that he's rotten and wicked. And so is every other one of us, except the grace of God come into our lives. Oh, it's folly unto him and shame. It's foolishness. And he receives it not according to the book of 1 Corinthians. He hath not rooted himself, but he endureth for a while this one that receives in stony places, and when persecution and tribulation ariseth because of the word, by and by he's offended. Simon Peter, the apostle Peter, was one such man who fell away because of tribulation and persecution. This is how we know this can apply to God's children. As you recall, Jesus is arrested. Simon Peter takes out a sword. He lops the ear off of the high priest's servant. Simon Peter was a man that was willing to die in a blaze of glory for Christ, but he wasn't a man willing to suffer for Christ's name. At that point, he would later be. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. He's a man who knew Christ, but he yet needed conversion. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven, Matthew 16. And yet, at the Last Supper, Jesus tells them, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired you, all of you, that he might sift you as wheat, Plural, you, but I've prayed for thee, that thy faith fail thee not, when thou, singular Simon Peter, art converted, strengthen thy brethren. As they arrest Jesus and put him on trial, what does Peter do? I've seen you with Christ. No, you haven't. You speak Galilean, I've seen you. You're a disciple of Christ. No, I'm not. The third time they come to him, and they say that, he begins to curse. He begins to use profane language. I know not the man. Jesus had warned him before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. At that instant, Peter hears the rooster crow, and he turns and he looks at Jesus, and Jesus makes eye contact with him. And you can imagine how Peter's heart sank in his chest. He went out and he wept bitterly. He knew he had betrayed his Lord, and his Lord knew it. After all the big talk about how he'd go to his death, though all of the men forsake you, Lord, I won't forsake you. When tribulation and persecution arose... Because of the word, Peter was offended. One of the early controversies in Christendom and Christianity was over what to do with the lapses. Lapsian controversy. What is a a person who falls under that category of the lapses? Well, the root there is lapse. They had a lapse in discipleship. When the great persecution came against the church in the first and second century Many people who were disciples, rather than suffering for Christ, would deny him. They would recant. I was listening. Even in the Reformation, in the English Reformation, there was a man who recanted before death and then recanted his recantation. And as he signed his recantation, as they burned him at the stake, he held his hand over the fire that he signed his recantation with to Punish that part of his body before the rest of him were engulfed in flames. He recanted his recantation. What a great problem God's children have had in other nations and other cultures that we have no earthly idea about in America today. The faction that grew out of discontent over receiving the lapsed people back were known as the Donatists. Donatists split off from the mainstream group of Christianity and they said, we're not going to accept back any people who lapsed. There was a controversy over even ministers who were received back and enabled, allowed to go and to minister again after they denied Christ. And the Donatists said, we, we don't want to have any part with this. These people are they're not worthy to preach after they denied Jesus. Now that it's easy to be a disciple, here they are again. interesting. There were times that an in-between route was allowed, and so those that lapsed were allowed to sit in a segregated part from the rest of the saints in the church. I don't know if that's where the idea of a back row Baptist came from, but they had to be segregated and separate from the rest of the people in church. We'll put you somewhere further away. You can have some of the rights of membership, but not all of the rights of membership. That was an early thing they had to deal with. How do you deal with it? well, it doesn't ever appear that anyone held it against the Apostle Peter. It's a shame, and they ought to go weep like Peter did. It is a shame, but it happens. Those who fall away because of fear of persecution. This third type is the one that I wanted to save a lot of time to talk about today, and we didn't. He also, that receive seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful you know one of the things when you, you have to be careful about when you garden is to keep undesirable plants from choking out that which you've sown that you want to cultivate and grow that will produce fruit This is a product of the sin of Adam. Because of the sin of Adam, thorns and thistles will the ground bring forth, and by the sweat of our face shall we till and eat of what we sow into the ground. Growing food is difficult because of the sin of Adam. How great would it be if we, anywhere we dropped corn, a crop would rise? And it just doesn't happen. It's so difficult sometimes to get a good harvest of plants. And yet none of us struggle growing crabgrass or Dallas grass. Brother Hewlin said once, if not for crabgrass, I'd have no grass. If not for Dallas grass, I'd have no grass. It invades your garden. It invades your flower garden. It invades every square inch, thorns and thistles and broad leaves and dandelions and all sorts of undesirable plants. It's so easy. And as they get in a garden, what do they do? They choke out the plants that you want to have in the garden. He that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. The word isn't fruitful in his life because the cares of this world choke the seed, choke the plant, and he becomes unfruitful. There's only so much moisture in the soil There's only so much nutrients in the soil. And all of these other plants choke out all the nutrients, all the moisture, so that the seed that's sown, the desirable plant, isn't able to grow and bring forth the fruit. This is why we till our gardens before we plant. Now I say this today... Because this is our major threat at present, the cares of this world. A man could wager his life's net worth on the idea that we're far more obsessed with worldly things at present in our country than we are the gospel. Now you notice I hypothetically worded that. A man could wager his life's worth. I didn't say I would wager my life's net worth. But a man could wager his life's worth. That we're far more obsessed with worldly things. Now along those lines, I want to hit both ends of this. And I don't want to make anybody mad at me. I love you. If I'm so scared of a virus that I can no longer serve Christ and I'm obsessed with it, and I spend all of my waking day thinking about it, then the cares of this world are choking the Word. I was talking to a pastor friend the other day, and he was talking about a brother who finally came back to church for two Sundays and hasn't been back, but the whole time he sat there looking scared to death like lightning was going to strike him. It was like COVID was going to open the door, walk down the row, and slap him in the face. Is that really going to happen like that? No. No. That was a small church. They were taking all the precautions they could. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now let me smack the other side of the thing. If if I'm so afraid of whatever it is, the big bad wolf, the boogeyman, the conspiracy, the Illuminati, the New World Order, the powers that be, you name it, Falsy, Gates, Soros, I mean, I've got Facebook, I've got Twitter, if, if I'm so scared, we were talking about a dear friend here and I the other day about how the latest alarmism was that since we're low on coins, it was a secret ploy to take away money so we had a cashless society so we got computer chips that would be the mark of the beast. Whoa! Okay, I just jumped straight from my driveway to the moon with that one. Them some long legs. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about that. If I'm so alarmed at that that I can't function as a a disciple, then the cares of this world are choking the word that I'm not fruitful, and I need to reevaluate my focus. God didn't call us into His church to obsess over political theories or rant about politics on Facebook. God called us into His kingdom to worship and serve His Son, Jesus Christ, and to proclaim His gospel, and we need to be doing it. We need to be doing that. Thank you for your amens. I didn't know if you'd throw hymnals at me. We're choked in this country today, and we need to reevaluate our focus. We need to reevaluate. My thought on that is I'm not afraid of a virus. I'm going to wear a mask because if I have it and I don't know I have it, I don't want to give Kenneth Stevens or Hewlin Chambers coronavirus. I'm going to stay six feet away because I love you. I hate it the best part last sunday family that's away visiting uh, their family today the little girl in the family saw me and and she just she kept kind of jumping and the mom kept putting her hand on her the mom looks to the left and the little girl just bolts and just tackles my waist gives me a hug that was the sweetest thing that's happened to me in weeks made me feel so good i hate the distance but i understand But at the same time, I'm not going to live my life in fear of the big bad wolf or the big bad COVID. I'm going to fear God. I'm going to love Him. I'm going to keep His commandments. I'm going to come to the house of God and worship. I'm going to preach the Word. I'm going to receive the Word. I'm going to worship Him and read His Word and listen to resources and pray and sing, all while taking all the caution that I can because I love you. The cares of this world are choking American Christianity to death. And God's ministers ought to say so. And here we come to, five minutes after, the good ground. He that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it. First part doesn't apply to him, which also beareth fruit. The second two problems don't apply to him. He bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. You notice there's even a varying degree of fruitfulness upon those who hear it, and they're not choked, and they're not scorched, and they don't misunderstand. There are varying degrees of fruit bearing even among the seed sown in good soil. It's a great lesson to learn in that. May we pray that God would bless us to be the good soil. May we bring forth fruit to the best of our ability. Maybe we need to cultivate some and pull down some weeds, pull out some stones, and chase away the birds.